0: gators breakdown the gators fan podcast because there's never a dull moment in gator nation the gators breakdown podcast is ready to go i'm your host david waters and you can find me on twitter at gator Dave underscore SCC, and join me for this national signing day 2019 review is will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles sec and his site reaction.com. will Mullins' first full class first uh, class he's got a whole year to, to work on uh it finishes in the top 10 pretty good class overall uh but uh you know it uh it uh it started off slow we uh took a lot of flack uh, of talking about recruiting in uh april may june july uh all that stuff and uh, kind of all culminated uh, here in, in February for National sign Day, and uh, it was a, a lot of fun from early sign Day to National sign Day, and uh, Florida walks out with a uh, top-10 class.
1: Yeah, man. it's Nobody can tell me it's only June now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's finally February. We get to do the analysis. We actually are. Um, Certainly, that's what we'll be talking about sort of our initial thoughts tonight. And then I'm sure there will be some stuff coming up in the coming weeks to really sort of break it down and figure out exactly what's happening. But, you know, the transition class are always always very, very important for every SEC team, for every team, really. and it's not going to be any different here, and and so I'm excited to see what Mullen's able to do. There are a lot of really good players that he's brought in, and it's going to be the foundation for what Mullen does at Florida. And you know we'll see whether it's good enough in the next three or four years because this is really going to sort of be the second class is the one that always really is the stamp for the coach. The first class he's trying to put it together. He's trying to sort of. Um, figure things out. And especially for Mullen last year and other first year head coaches last year, having the early signing period for the first time, I think probably through a monkey wrench. Um, so this year that that's not an excuse. And, uh, you know, again, I think top 10 class, it's been a while since Florida's had one. And so everybody's excited.
0: All right. We'll dive all into uh national signing day and what the Gators brought in. But before we do remember, you can find Gators breakdown on news for com slash Gators breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles uh, pertaining to National Signing Day for the Gators, the Seminoles, uh, around the Jacksonville area. You can find it on news 4 slash Gators Breakdown and the sports section there on News for Jacks. Also, catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown so will the gators start a national signing day ranked 11th overall in the 24 7 sports composite rankings that will be the rankings we mostly uh, kind of feature here that we go back to uh, and reference a, a good bit so uh you know and as we sit here on the night of national signing day the gators are up to ninth in the rankings after adding commitments from defensive end outside linebacker chris bogle and cornerback Kyir elam to go along with the signings of commits the one black and rj henderson uh, it was a good finish to a good class. Uh, no one uh, will complain with the players Florida brought in today. Yes, lost out on a couple of targets to to, to Auburn and Charles Moore and uh, Mark Anthony Richards that Florida was in for. But uh, this was a good finish to rise up in the rankings with the additions of Bogo and Elam, two of the top players in the class that you beat out Alabama and Georgia for.
1: Yeah, I mean, Elam and Bogler are the second and third rated guys in the class behind Chris Steele. Um, Certainly, you know, Mullins had an unbelievable finish to this class here, especially when you consider signing day with Zipperer. Um, Hammond and Summerall, the guys from Lakeland. And then you got RJ Henderson flipping from Florida State, who's in that top 150 as well. So um, you know, to be able to take Bogle away from Alabama, to be able to take Elam away from Georgia, something we talked about last week, that that was really a Florida-Georgia battle and Florida won one. And it's been a while since Florida's (laughs) won a battle against Georgia. Certainly didn't win many of them when Jim McElwain was at the helm. And so Um, you know, it's, it's a big deal to bring in top 100 guys. Those guys turn into stars much more often than top 200 and then top 300. Um, You know, obviously you want all the high rated recruits you can get, but, uh, but these guys also, I mean, Elam in particular is somebody who's a Florida legacy. So you sort of feel, feel like you should have had someone like him coming. It would have really hurt if he'd gone to Georgia, but Hey, he chose Florida and, uh, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Particularly the combination of him and Steele should be exciting to watch for the next three years.
0: Adding to that DBU, absolutely. And Kyrie Elam, uh, just a little summary about him. A cornerback, great size for the college level, 6'1", 182. Uh, 40 time of 4.51. You know, he'll be able to add some more weight uh t- to that frame. uh And look, we saw it back at Friday Night Lights. He was locking down wide receivers all night long. He can play inside and outside, cover the slot, cover the number one receiver. Uh, and that may lead, you know, his versatility there may lead to some early playing time. Uh, we'll know. We talked about it before we came on. Florida is deep at defensive back, have a lot of talent at defensive back, but uh, Elam uh, comes in one of the, one of the higher rated players uh, for this defensive backfield.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, obviously Florida is pretty deep at defensive back, especially with Marco Wilson coming back off of an injury this year. Um, but that, you know, you can't have enough corners, especially as these offenses become more and more pass-heavy and become more and more spread-oriented. And so, you know, Chauncey Gardner Johnson is gone. They're going to need people to step in. If Tre steps into that star role, then they're going to need somebody potentially to give Wilson and Henderson a blow, or for their nickel packages to step in there. And both Steele and uh, and Elam should be able to compete for those roles. And to be honest, you know, there's also there's a lot of flexibility there if if somebody like Amari Bernie or Trey Dean can play more of a safety position. And that was a position where Donovan Steiner played very, very well last year. But there were times where he where the opposition was able to to isolate him in in one on one coverage. Situations. And if you can put a guy out there who's more of a cover guy at that safety position, then that gives you an advantage as well. So if Amari Bernie's out there, if Trey Dean can maybe shift over to safety and you have the flexibility to put, put a corner in, that can be a really big deal. So, um, you know, that's one of the things that Grantham and Mullen have talked about ever since they got to Florida was getting versatility, having the ability to do multiple things on the field. And I think that steel and Elam are going to allow them to do that with some of the guys who were recruited as safeties last year, because Trading and Burn and Amari Bernie came in as safeties recruited, and Dean obviously had to play corner because of the injuries. But uh, you know, we'll see how they how things progress moving forward with these two guys in the fold.
0: All right, and to, for Bogle 6'3, uh 6'3 and a half, 212 pounds, uh impressive reach, slender body that uh you know allowed to pack him, uh allowed to pack on some weight here, has athleticism to use the speed, make some plays in the backfield, and track plays down uh sideline to sideline. And you know, I wouldn't expect early contribution out of him, uh, but that's not to say he's not a good player or anything. You know, Florida has some depth at this. Uh, outside linebacker rush in uh, thing uh, but you know spot that they have there uh, there's no need to, to rush him in I mean you have the transfer of John, Jonathan Grenard from uh, Louisville and Jeremiah Moon and Jabari Zuniga, Chatfield, uh, Mahmoud Diabate also in this class and Lloyd Summerall as well so Florida uh, added some freshmen to this rotation Bogle today uh, but there no need to really rush him in with what Florida has there.
1: No, you know, I mean, I think whenever you get somebody who's a who's a top hundred player, <laughs> you, you don't mind rushing him in if you've oh, got no. that opportunity. <laughs> and and if he shows on the field, then he's certainly gonna get the opportunity. I mean, I, I think you know, there were two places that Jim McElwain really sort of lagged behind. One was at linebacker where over, you know, o- over his tenure from 2015 to 2017, he didn't sign any top 300 guys. And Mullen just brought in three of them. <laughs> and then when you, when you look at defensive line over those three years, McElwain only brought in four top 300 players. And now Mullins brought in four over the last two years, and so you know Bogle adds to that. They having Chatfield last year, having Malik Langham last year, and now you've got the guys that he's bringing in this year. I mean, it really the SEC requires that you have defensive linemen up front. Top five defenses almost always have very highly rated recruits on the defensive line. I mean, it's not just Alabama. It's the other teams as well that play really, really good defense. Even if they don't have highly rated guys at corner and linebacker, they almost always have highly rated guys at defensive line. It's important to bring in elite guys to that space. And Mullen's been doing it for the past couple of years. Um you know, and, and again, I think some of the stuff that he's doing on the back end may allow him to bring some of those guys forward. So guys like Dewan Black are going to be able to do some things where they're pass rushing, and they're not necessarily um, defensive ends in the definition. Mm-hmm. But Voshan Joseph did an awful lot of pass rushing last year and you know, spent a lot of time up near the line of scrimmage, and I expect to see that as well. So um, anytime you can bring in high-level defensive defensive lineman it's a big deal. And Mullen's shown that he can do that the last two years, and he's really, really built up the depth at that space. And, you know, when people talk about an SEC schedule, what they really mean is the attrition that happens over the course of that schedule. And so, you know, as much depth as you can get at those positions where guys take a beating, that's really where it becomes important. And so, you know, you think about offensive line and defensive line, those are the places you want to really emphasize depth. Um, you know, you want to bring in a couple of defensive ends a cycle. You want to bring in a couple of defensive tackles a cycle, and Uh, And certainly on the defensive end, at least, Mullen's been able to do that here.
0: Yeah, and I also meant to say, you know, defensive end outside linebackers. If you also want to throw in Tyron Hopper, the one black in, in, into that mix as well, uh, for what Bogle will be fighting for. And then you look you mentioned uh the one black and we said Amari Bernie's name too. You know, going back to the last cycle, to this cycle, you have players like Bernie and and Black, and you you spoke to the versatility. I mean, I remember going back and and watching the, the Peach Bowl, and I think even the FSU game as well, where Amari Bernie was in the middle, he lined up at middle linebacker in certain spots. He was outside linebacker in certain spots. We know he can play back there in the secondary at safety if he needs to. So DeJuan Black, I see kind of in that similar role. I think you can line him up whatever the situation is, whether the scenario is, if you want him outside linebacker, if you want him at middle linebacker, if you want to put him back at safety because he's so fast and, and big. Uh, there is a lot of versatility that we're seeing here with Dan Mullen and, um, uh, what, and uh, Todd Grantham and what he's bringing in. And look, Bogle even mentioned it. Todd Grantham was huge in bringing him along, uh, securing his commitment. To, you know, It didn't matter uh, the new coaches Florida was bringing in or the old coaches that left. He pointed to Todd Grantham and what Todd Grantham was able to do at that outside linebacker spot. Because we've seen it everywhere Todd Grantham has been, starting with Jarvis Jones back at Georgia. That's kind of where we remember it and what he was able to, to string along and, and do this past year with Jacopo Light. And I think, you know, highly rated players took notice in the big jump at Jacopo Light and they want to see if they can replicate that same kind of success.
1: Well, and this is where the, the defensive backs really become important because one of the reasons that a Grantham defense will struggle is because they have to play one-on-one on the outside because he's so aggressive up front. And if you've got a ton of defensive backs who can play one-on-one coverage, then you're able to do that. So it all sort of works together. And I agree with you that the that the linebackers, I'm sure, saw saw what they did with those guys this year and said that looks like a fun place to play. And, and again, I mean, Jeremiah Moon came in in 2016. Mm-hmm. He's the only blue-chip guy to come in in 2016 or 2017 a linebacker and moon is not really a linebacker anymore he's at a point now where he's kind of going to be in that jakai polite jabari Zaniga type of position and so bringing in david reese the second david reese last year and then bringing in the three linebackers this year um i, I think really starts to fill out that position and if anything else you know you get an injury you get somebody who um who, I mean, go who back, go back to the,
0: the yeah go back to the george game last year and what happened with the injuries
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier this year that the offensive line didn't have any injuries at all last year. It was basically the same starting five. Um, the same, really the same thing happened on the defense for the most part. I mean, you had the the injury to Marco Wilson. That was really about it in terms of serious injuries. Um, you know, once the Kentucky game was over, David Reese was back. C.C. Jefferson was back. And, and uh, you know, there weren't really a whole lot of serious injuries over the course of the year. <laughs> That's <bad>. not, not a <laughs>
0: Yeah, especially from what we saw from years before when, you know, Florida, when they went to LSU and won in Baton Rouge, it was pretty much a mash unit on that defense.
1: <laughs> well, some of that can be attributed to uh, to Savage and him coming in and getting these guys stronger, I'm sure. Um, but at the same time, in the SEC, you're going to have injuries. It's just And they're going to have to prepare for it. That's part of what the recruiting – that's part of why you want as high a recruiting class as you can get is it's not just – you know, you need the elite guy on the field. Now, that's important too, but it's also you need somebody to step in when that guy goes down, and, and Florida's got that at a bunch of different positions now.
0: All right, Will, so this is the Gators' highest ranking uh, in, the, in the recruiting rankings since uh, also finishing ninth in 2014. Uh, the Gators come in with a score of 276.85 and an average star rating of 91.06 with 25 commits. Ninth ranked in the nation means fifth in the SEC. Uh, kind of crazy when you look at it that way. Ninth in the nation, fifth in the SEC behind Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, and LSU. Uh, by comparison, Will UF uh, finished 14th in the 2018 class, and that was good for fourth in the SEC last year. So uh, uh, recruiting in the SEC picked up this cycle. Uh, so Will in, in the top ten, uh, you know the the the, the Gators are in the top ten. Raise the talent level uh, with 17 four stars, eight three stars. No five stars, but still raising the talent level uh, into the top 10 without a five star. And Florida is the only team in the top 13 without a five star, but still raising the talent level overall for the team.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I listened to your and Bill's pod earlier today, and and I, I sort of agree with him in that this is a you can pick you can pick some very, very positive things to come from this and you can pick some things that could use improvement from this as well. That, you know, when you're the ninth rated recruiting class, hey, you're in the top 10. You should expect your team to be in the top 10 in the in the near future. And that's really, um, you know, that's an awesome thing, obviously. But at the same time, you look at it and say, Okay, you don't have a five star. Okay, well, you made up for it by having 17 blue chip guys. But again, those five star guys are important. So I think there's a little bit of good, a little bit of not so good. And really the question is um, Mullen's ability to harness that. And does, is he a good enough evaluator of talent that the guys that he's brought in who are 40th, 50th, 60th, or even 350th and 370th, you know, can he? can he get more out of those guys than people normally do? Because, um, you know, ninth is good enough to compete in the SEC. I don't know that it's good enough to win regularly in the SEC, and so that's something that we're going to see moving forward.
0: Absolutely there. So um, talking about the talent influx uh, of talent here, four in the top 100, uh, and that goes with Chris Steele at 42nd, Kyer Elam 48th, uh, Chris Bogle 71st, Tyron Hopper 88th, uh, just outside of the top 100 is tight end Keon Zipperer at 104th and uh, Mahmoud Diabate at 109th. So those get, uh, two guys just missed, uh, you know, just being in that top 100, uh, if, if that's a threshold for you. But counting those six there, uh, four in the top 100 uh, and two right outside of it, counting those six, uh, the Gators also have 13 in the top 300. Uh, and that goes for uh, offensive lineman Michael Tarquin. Uh, he's at 277, but uh, RJ Henderson, uh, starting over with him at 140th, the one black at 151st, Yave Hammond 242 uh, 242, Lloyd Summerall 243, Nyquan Wright at 261, Jalen Humphreys at 264. So 13 of the 25 are top 300 players, Will, uh, with the 17 forced st- and with the 17 four stars a blue chip percentage of of, uh, 68% for this class.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this determine or a lot of what you think of this class depends on how you break it down, which usually means that there's a little bit of truth on both sides, right? That, that you look at it, you say, Hey, the top tier talent is still a little bit lacking, not, you know, he's added a lot in the last couple of months, but at the same time, it's a little bit lacking when you compare it to Zuckmeyer and Muschamp, um, but it's considerably better than what it does, was under McElwain. And I don't think we want to necessarily um, ignore that. So in 2015 under McElwain their 24-7 hours was 87.3. In 2016, it was 88.7. In 2017, it was 89.1. Mullen last year took it to 90.8, and this year it's 91.1. So steadily, the talent level is improving at Florida. Again, you mentioned the four-stars and only eight three-stars, whereas McIlwain had nine four-stars and 16 three-stars. So really, the difference between ninth and twelfth there is pretty significant in terms of number of blue-chip guys. It's eight more blue-chip guys <laughs> that Mullen had over, over McIlwain. But if you break it down into top 100, top 200, or you know 1 to 100, 101 to 200, and 201 to 300, well, now it starts to compare a little bit more towards McIlwain. So McIlwain had four top 100 guys. Mullen has four top 100 guys. McElwain had three guys between 100 and 200. Mullen's got four. And then where Mullen's really made up the difference here is McElwain had zero guys between 200 and 300, and Mullen's got five. So really what you think of this class, I think in most respects is going to be those guys in that 200 to 300 lane, what does Mullen get out of them? Because if he gets top 100 level production out of two or three of those guys, all of a sudden this class is much, much better than what McElwain brought in. On the other hand, if he gets some attrition from those and maybe only gets you know, one starter out of those five guys, well, then, then we've got some issues because then you're thin again. But you, know, you compare that to like Ron Zook. He had 12 top 100 guys in his transition class. One guy, one guy who was top 200 and then two that were top 300. Meyer had nine top 100, seven between 100 and 200, and then two 200 to 300. So the top end talent of those Zook, Meyer, Muschamp second year recruiting classes was higher than this Mullen one. But this Mullen one is considerably higher than what McIlwain's is just overall. And so it's really fascinating to see what's going to happen because this is a very, very deep class. It's just also a very balanced class. Four top 100, four top 200, and five top 300, (laughs) um, as opposed to being maybe more top heavy like Zook, who was 12, 1, and 2. So um, again, I don't know that it's good or bad. It's just different. And it's, it's not something that we've seen over in Florida in the past in terms of the spread being that way. It's been traditionally more top-end talent. But, you know, again, if you think Mullen's an excellent coach and you think he's going to develop these guys, then you've got a lot of confidence that he's going to take some of these guys in that 200 to 300 range and have them overperform. And if he does, this is going to look like a really, really good class.
0: Uh, one more thing I like going by, Will, when you just look at rankings, is the the player average, uh, and and looking at that instead of just the uh, pure rankings of it and just the uh, total score uh, that these guys get. twenty four seven Sports Composite also gives a uh, average player ranking, and I, I like going by that a good bit. And when looking at those rankings, uh, Gators rank well uh, here. The Gators are seventh in average player ranking uh, at ninety one point oh six, and that's the ha- highest average for the Gators. Since all the way back in 2012.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, so they don't have the five stars, but again, they they've really got a balanced class between those top 300, and so from an average ranking, they are they are higher than their overall points ranking because five stars and and those guys tend to give a bump to these to the 24/7 calculation at least, and so you know if you look at rivals, I think Florida's ranked eighth. You look at 24/7, they're ranked ninth. Um, so I haven't had a chance to look at the ESPN rankings yet, but I'm sure they're in that range as well. So most of the recruiting services have them all in about the same place. I know you and Bill talked a little bit earlier today about how basically – 12th to 7th is all sort of in that 270 to 280 range um, and so one player one way or the other would have swung the class you know if if Elam doesn't come Florida ends up 11th or 12th because Elam comes they end up 9th okay it's one player you don't want to judge an entire class on one player but Elam's a really good player so maybe you do want to judge the class on that one player um, you know at the end of the day I'm not going to get upset whether Florida's 9th or 7th or 11th I think the bigger issue is that Alabama's first Georgia's second a&M's fourth and LSU is fifth. And that's sort of where you start to get a little bit concerned just because of the conference that they're in. I mean, if you came in ranked ninth and you were in the ACC, I mean, clearly you can win a national championship with that sort of profile uh, in the ACC. But it's a little bit harder in the SEC just because you have to go through. So, again, I, I don't think it's perfect. But I think there's a lot of good here. And and I'm excited to see, especially because of what you said, that the average of the guys from a talent perspective actually pushes them up. So this isn't the case where the class is very, very top-heavy, and then they're just sort of boosting the score on the back end. Um, really sort of like McIlwain did when he got C.C. Jefferson and Martez yeah. Ivy in his first class. That was a lot of three-stars who then got combined with those two five-stars and boosted that class into the, I think they were 21st, when really without the two five-stars, they would have had no business being there. This isn't that. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of really good players. And I think people have made some points also about the idea that, uh, that some of the players didn't play this year. So Dewan Black didn't play this year and fell out of a position where maybe he could have played his way into a five-star rating. But, you know, again, I think most classes have somebody like that, and so, you know, somebody whose rankings fell because they were sitting out for whatever reason, and so um, it's not something that's unique to Florida, so I don't know that it's something you want to necessarily put a whole lot of stock in, but again, there are individual circumstances where guys are going to outperform perform their rankings, and that may be one of them, is having a guy who didn't play in his senior year, and so his ranking took a hit, but at the end of the day, he's a better player than that ranking actually indicates.
0: All right, yeah, and Will, you did mention kind of where the Gators are, and I've mentioned it here before, too. You know, still fifth in the SEC, uh, you know, things that kind of have to overcome in in this class, you know, fifth in the SEC uh, and behind two teams you play every year in in Georgia and LSU. So, you know, you're playing teams – there that will have equal or better talent than you just going based off this class and 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 going back to the classes uh the past few classes as well uh then you know it could be Alabama or Texas A&M in the SEC championship game in years to come. Uh, I don't think Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher is going to be slowing down all all too much there in Texas. So, you know, I still like where Florida is is that right now but hopefully you know the talent level continues to increase like we've just been uh, talking about and you have the path of least resistance when you have to play so many of these teams that recruit like you do uh in the same conference and you're playing them year in and year out uh so you know we, we basically when we say we want we, we want talent and it's not that the talent that Florida has isn't good enough it's just hey just give us the path of least resistance
1: here <laughs> well we wouldn't harp on it if it didn't matter yeah. And so when only, you look only, for,
0: or from, we can get so excited when Florida gets a big 2020 recruit and they're ranked yeah. uh, you know, in the top five.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So when you look at the SEC from 2004 to two, or 2014 to 2018, the number one rated team in the conference from a recruiting perspective, Alabama obviously has won 94% of its games. The number two ranked team, that, so, averaging over that time, so you take the four years prior and average it. The number two-ranked team in the conference has won 80% of their games. The number three-ranked team in the conference has won 71% of its games. Number four-ranked team has won 64% of its games, and the number five-ranked team has won 54% of its games. So, really, historically over the last four years in the SEC, the team that is ranked <laughs> that is ranked fifth in the SEC, which is where Florida is right now, has won just has been a little bit over 500 so that's why you harp on it because you know you really need it you really need to get into that top two or top three to start winning 70 or 80 percent of your games total. And it's not just the SEC, because if you do the same thing for all the Power Five conferences, the number one team in the conference wins 73 percent of its games, the number two percent or the number two team, this one's really boosted by the ACC, wins 77 percent of its games, the number three team wins 67 percent, the number four team wins 55 percent, the number five teams wins 57 percent of the time. So, Overall, your winning percentage is tied to where you finish in your conference, and it doesn't matter where you are nationally when you look at these numbers, it matters much more where you are in your conference, which makes sense because eight or nine of your games during the season are against conference opponents, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of variability in that data. It doesn't mean you can't finish fifth in the SEC and still win the SEC East or even win the SEC. It just means that probability-wise, you're probably going to end up middle of the pack if you're fifth on a consistent basis, and so um, it's going to happen. Will
0: it's going to happen? Will
1: (laughs) well, Malone's proven me wrong on a bunch of things in this cycle, and so I'm going to keep hoping that he proves me wrong (laughs) on this too. But you know, it's it's not. And again, Auburn has been one of these teams that has sort of finished fourth or fifth, and every once in a while has been able to knock off Alabama. And the panache that you get for beating Alabama you know, really boosts you when it comes to getting, when it comes to getting into the playoffs, when it comes to, um, you know, where you end up in bowl games and things like that. So, um, you know, Florida's going to get a chance to prove it. And obviously a ninth rated class is very, very good. Um, But again, the thing that concerns me is where they sit in the conference. And that when you look at the ratings, the, you know, we talked about sort of the bunching up of the teams between maybe 12th and seventh. There's a separation that starts to happen at fifth, which is where LSU is and where A&M is. And then there's another separation when you go to first and second where Alabama and Georgia are. So, again, you, you really yeah, Bill, want to be Bill talking. Bill brought
0: up a good point uh, when we were talking about behind the scenes today. It's, you know, you don't maybe not want to go in order of one through 10 or anything like that. You may want to separate it into tiers.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, Georgia and Alabama right now are on different tiers from a recruiting perspective. Now, you know, I think we've all seen some of the gaffes that Kirby's made on the field, <laughs> and, and, and we Ed, just and during...
0: there's Justin, Justin Fields uh, at quarterback depth anymore, so. <laughs>
1: Sure. And, and, you know, we also saw um, some of those things he did against Florida last year, you know, with some of the goal line stands and the play calling and deciding to go for field goals when it was fourth and short, deep in the red zone. If he does that against teams that are more prepared to beat him, then Mullen's going to be able to get him on the field a couple of times just because he's going to open up the opportunity on the field. So recruiting isn't everything. We've never said that. Um, but I do think that you got to look at historical trends and say, OK, where do we stand? And Florida, this is a very, very good recruiting class. But when you compare it to Zuckmeyer must Muschamp, it doesn't quite measure up where their transi- or where their bump classes ended up. But when you look at McElwain, it's considerably better. And like I said, it's a lot more balanced than some of those other classes. And so we'll see what Mullen's able to do with it.
0: All right, so the other side of that coin, uh, you do have a better class than both your in-state rivals and some other SEC teams out there. Uh, so, you know, uh, Auburn, uh, Tennessee's at 12th. Uh, FSU is at 16th, but that is still counting safety Nick Cross. So if he commits elsewhere, like most people think he will, to Penn State or Maryland, that'll drop FSU to 20th uh, in, in the recruiting rankings. Uh, South Carolina 19, Ole Miss 22nd, Arkansas 23rd, Mississippi State at 24th. So uh, remember how they were saying Mullen was the problem there? Uh, I don't bet uh, they don't think that any longer uh, after the season they had uh, and then basically being where they have been anyway in recruiting <laughs> after after their fast start this past cycle. So uh, then you have to go all the way down to 28 to find uh, Florida's first opponent uh, for next season. Miami, Kentucky's at 34th, Missouri's at 36 and Vanderbilt all the way down at uh, 56. Well, so. Uh, We can uh, compare a little bit to in-state rivals here. So FSU more than likely will be in the 16 to 20 range according to what happens to cross. Like I said, most people don't think he'll uh, be in that class. Miami, uh, not necessarily able to put it all together after Mark Rick left. And uh, Manny Diaz, not a lot of time to uh, kind of rally the troops. So they missed out on Bogle, of course, after he visited there this past weekend. Uh, Tennessee with a late surge today. So uh, Jeremy Pruitt getting things together. Uh, there at Tennessee, so we'll see if he can put that talent together. Uh, and uh, Will Muschamp, South Carolina, not too too far uh, behind, about ten spots behind Florida, and uh, they got a pretty good defensive line class over the last few cycles. So we'll see if Muschamp can bring around uh, that defensive line. But I think uh, the as far as rivals go, and, and who you're playing, uh, the story of course of FSU and Cross, uh, Tennessee, and their late surge, and uh, uh, Miami not necessarily you know bringing it up and recruiting and having to go uh, rely on getting a lot of transfers.
1: Yeah, well, you know, FSU, I think, is the most interesting case here. I mean, they're at 89.5 is their 24-7 rating with CROSS and that's right in that McIlwain zone that we were talking about earlier in terms of the quality of the uh, – in terms of the quality of the recruits that they're bringing in. I'm not sure they've signed a quarterback since Charlie Ward. I mean, this is getting kind of ridiculous <laughs> here. <laughs> I mean, it's just – it was whiff after whiff after whiff, and I'm enjoying every second of it, man. So, you know, we had to live through that with McIlwain for three years where he wasn't necessarily bringing in blue-chip quarterbacks. He was still with quarterbacks.
0: Willie Whiff. But i not going to start now. <laughs> Willie Whiff.
1: I mean – I mean, Matt, you know, just, you know, we've talked a lot about how Mullen sort of remade the quarterback room and, you know, he has Carson Beck coming in last week and all of a sudden Anthony Richardson decommits and everybody's freaking out. It's like, don't freak out. Like, just yeah. look <laughs> at what's going on in Tallahassee before you freak out. Cause that is a dumpster fire, my friend. Like, <laughs> I mean, to not bring in quarterback two years in a row is, is crazy. And, 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 you know, you got Francois getting dismissed and you got Blackman in the transfer portal. It's like, they're going to have to go get a walk on like McIlwain did with a kicker that one year it's just (laughs) so i I don't want to gloss over
0: i'm sure there's a bad boy out there somewhere
1: (laughs) so i don't want to gloss over that because again when you look at you know one of the things i think that we've been critical of of mullen for this year in particular is not necessarily drawing a circle around gainesville and recruiting in that specific area there have been a lot of florida guys who've gone out of the state this year granted it's a little bit down this year it's a lot stronger next year but still i mean guys who um you know, guys who normally should be considering Florida maybe haven't, but now you've got Diaz in Miami, and we'll see how he does in his first year, but obviously his first recruiting class, a lot of it because of timing, but really struggled, and Rick wasn't necessarily doing a real good job in the recruiting trail before then, and then you look at Florida State, and this is one of those, you know, one of the things early in the year, it looked like Florida might basically stay stagnant in their recruiting class. Florida State's going backwards. So they were 10th last year, I think, and now they're 16th. And it's like to go backwards after your first year, it's like, whoo! like this is the recruiting class where the stuff on the field isn't supposed to affect you this much. It's where you're supposed to be able to sell, hey, it was the last guy's fault that we're like this. (laughs) Now I'm building it. And for them to not be able to sell that really, really needs to be concerning to Seminoles fans and really needs to be encouraging to Florida fans who now, you know, Mullins should be able to widen that circle. Into that, you know, make sure he gets Lake City, make sure he gets, you know, going to Tallahassee. Can he get out to Panama City? Can he get those guys who typically pick to come to Florida State? And can he bring some of those guys in? And we'll see whether he can do it. Obviously, the 2020 and 2021 classes are picking up quite a bit. I mean, you know, I mentioned where Mullen was this year, but next, so he was at 91.1 this year. Next year, the seven guys he's got coming in are already at 92.9. And in 2021, the four guys he's got. (laughs) One of the four guys he's got right now are ninety-seven point seven. So you know, again, I I am encouraged at the way it's slowly, incrementally building. This isn't the way guys have typically done it in the SEC, but you know, Mullen's not really a typical guy either. So, um, so I'm excited to see where he's going to go, and certainly excited to see where he is in reference to Florida State.
0: All right, well, uh, we'll also discuss. You know, we uh, there is a uh, not not everything was so rosy, so positive uh, for the Gators. You know, the the only things where this class uh, really could could have been better. Of course, the defensive tackle or strong side defensive end position. You know, some you know more the the beefy bodies, the, the big bodies that you want to put uh, in there along the defensive line. Also, losing. You know, kind of going back to today and in, in, in summary, Charles Moore. Uh, there was a little bit of smoke out there that he may have rethought his decision last night and Florida. May have been more in the mix than we thought also there was the report out there that his, he never got a letter of intent. So if that was the case and there was some renewed interest, he would have had to reach out to the staff to let them know uh, the interest. I'm so not necessarily sure how, how true the, the, the overnight smoke was for more. And also uh, Mark Anthony Richards, um, you know, choosing Auburn as well. Uh, the playmaker, the Charles uh, Florida was trying to sell in the Kadarius Tony roll wide receiver running back. He wanted to play running back, had more of a relationship there at Auburn uh, for you know, playing the running back position uh, more than just kind of the playmaker position here at Florida. You know, those were two targets Florida wanted uh, and those got two guys decided uh, to go elsewhere. So, you know, besides, you know, defense missing out on defensive tackle, strong side defensive end, the bigger bodies uh, and the two guys who went to Auburn uh, were kind of the, kind of the negative points of today.
1: Yeah, man, you can look at that and say, hey, we would have liked to have those guys here. I would have loved to have had those guys in Gainesville. But but at the same time, I think when you look, I mean, one of the things that that I've sort of looked at is August 1st is the delineation date. I know people are going (laughs) to criticize me for that at this point. Mullen had signed 40% of his guys were blue chips prior to August 1st. 85% of the guys he signed since August 1st have been blue chips. The average national ranking was 498 before August 1st, 228 ever since then. And so he's done a heck of a job closing out this class. Now, obviously, if he'd have brought in more, if he'd have brought in Mark Anthony Richards, well, now you're talking about even better at that point. But you, know, you can't do much better than signing 85% than 85% of the guys you bring in being at that blue chip level. And you know what? He proved me wrong. I mean, at, at this point, he he has improved based on what he was doing during the season, how he's been able to sell that. And hey, congratulations to him. Now, obviously, there's a confluence of events with um, with Florida State struggling and Miami struggling and all, all the things going on at those places. But, you know, you got to take advantage of that, and Mullen did. So, you know, I, again, I look at it and say you never want to take one guy or two guys in a class and say, oh, this makes the class or doesn't make the class. The only way you can possibly say that is if it was somebody like he- Tebow and Harvin right? I mean, those guys, even if the rest of that class had been junk, I feel like Tebow and Harvin would have made Florida really, really good regardless, mm-hmm. just because of how good they were. Um, are there any of those guys here? I don't necessarily know that. Um, I know that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk out there about Jamarcus Weston being a whole lot better than what his ranking is just based on people who've seen him. I know Chris Doring had some nice things to say about him. Um, certainly, you know, we already talked about black possibly being lower than, than, uh, than he would be had he played. And, and so, you know, I'm sure there are some really, really good players on this team, but you know, I don't think you want to grade it based on one guy or another. If they'd have gotten the two and they had been top five. Um, or top six, I mean, I still think they're fifth in the SEC, and that's still probably the criticism you love. I I think Mullen's done a heck of a job closing this class. Um, It's one of the things that makes me encouraged about where the 2020 class is, is that he won't have to close like this in order to have a really, really good class next year. I mean, one of the things is the slow start this year meant that he had to get these guys coming down the stretch. He's managed to do it, um, and and, hey, congratulations to him.
0: Uh, Well, and uh, another thing just kind of goes for – Florida, Florida State, Miami, uh, the the big three in the state of Florida. uh, And it does look better that we've seen for 2020, 2021. But also, you know, the the top state of Florida prospects have to get those guys to stay in state. Uh, And for this class, you know, the top three are IMG kids. So take of that what what you will. Uh, Number one was Nolan Smith, who ended up going to Georgia. But hey, look, Trey Sanders, also IMG uh, was that number two? You can't say Florida wasn't in that because he was an IMG kid. You know, Florida was every bit of uh, in that. Got his brother on campus, of course, lost him to Alabama uh, there. You know, the, the whole IMG stigma doesn't necessarily lend itself to Trey Sanders, who was very, very in the in the mix for Florida to get. Uh, and then Evan Neal, uh, the third uh, ranked Florida prospect, goes to Alabama. Uh, Fourth-ranked Tyreek Stevenson goes to Georgia. So, you know, the top four out of the state of Florida go to Alabama and to Georgia. Uh, Frank Ladson at number five went to Clemson. Jordan Battle, number six, went to Alabama. You have to get to the seventh-ranked player in the state, Kyrie Elam, who ends up going to Florida. Uh, the eighth-ranked player in the state, Akeem Dent, uh, who chose FSU. Uh, Ninth-ranked player in the state, uh, Jeremiah Payton, goes to Miami. So it took for The seventh-ranked player in Kyrie Elam to go to Florida, eighth. FSU ninth Miami, uh, 10th with Chris Bogle today, uh, going to Florida. So, in the top 10, you know, it took till seven to get for the, the, the first spot to go to Florida. Uh, but then, you know, the 11th ranked player, uh, Ryan Davis, Georgia, 12th ranked Auburn, 13th Penn State, 14th. Uh, Clemson you had to go to 15th for Keon Zipper to, to go to Florida saying so, you notice the trend I won't go much further but when you know you go back and look at the most successful recruiting classes for the for Florida for, for Florida and this recent trend lately of these top prospects in the state of going to ohio state going to alabama going to georgia going to clemson something that's going to have to stop and it looks like it's on the right the 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 right way now for the 2020 class uh but looking still concentrating on this 2019 class this was a a another negative not necessarily just for the gators uh for all the big three in the state of florida
1: yeah i mean i i guess it sort of indicates that you know, the the sort of perfect storm of Florida State and Miami struggling didn't really matter because those weren't the people recruiting the top guys in Florida (laughs) anyway. You know, and, and recruiting has become more national. Certainly when you look at Alabama and Georgia, it's much more Southeast than it is just Georgia or Alabama. They're going to come down into Florida and try to swipe guys as well. And then IMG, those guys usually have ties to other places, not just necessarily Florida. They didn't grow up there. They didn't grow up thinking they were going to be Gators, but you know, I I don't know that there are a lot of guys who grew up when they were 12, 13, 14 years old thinking I want to play for, I want to play for Will Muschamp. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of guys at 14 and 15 who were thinking, I want to play for Jim McElwain. And so, you know, it's going to take a little while for Mullen to reverse that, that attitude and reverse that sort of perception. Obviously he's, he's had a pretty good, uh, pretty good first stab at it and, you know, went out and uh, even amongst criticism from people like me, went out and got Chris Steele from California and, and brought in guys who filled needs and, and who really built this class who weren't in the state of Florida. So, um, it's definitely something that they're going to have to prioritize. I think it's something they know they're going to have to prioritize, and I think they will do that moving forward. Um, you know, you would have liked to have seen more talent from the state of Florida go to Florida. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think when you're looking at it and saying, where are we, do we have top-end talent, all those sorts of things, I think the answer is mostly yes. And so there are areas for improvement. But And the nice part is, is that as Florida succeeds – you would expect that the in-state talent is going to look to Florida. It's not as if they're getting they're getting the guys in state and they're like all right, now we're going to have to build out. They already sort of built out and now they're starting to build in. You would expect expect them to be able to do that as they're successful. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how the 2018 year likely maybe changed the minds of a couple of guys in this class, but it might change five, six, seven guys' minds in next year's class just because they've already seen Mullen do it. They've seen him turn it around. You know, does Carson Beck come to Florida without, without Mullen there? Does he come to Florida without seeing the offense improve and seeing the improvement of Frank's and seeing all that sort of stuff? I don't know. And I would guess the answer is no. And so, you know, those sorts of guys are starting to consider Florida and that's exciting.
0: Absolutely. Well, before we uh, wrap up, I'll get to a couple of tweets too, but, uh, any is there is there a player or two uh, from this class that uh, you're you're looking forward to seeing and, and what they can bring to the to the field for these Gators? You know, not necessarily guys who can contribute year one or or, or right away, but uh, you know, maybe it is somebody who does that or somebody you you kind of see uh, and, and can forecast they'll they'll be a uh, uh, or you you'll predict they may uh, be a big time star before they uh you know get away from here at you know after three
1: or four years. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think the guys I'm really excited to see are the linebackers. I mean, when when you look at DeJuan Black, when, when you look at uh, when you look at Diabate, and and then when you look at at. Uh, um, Hopper. When you look at those three guys, and you know, I don't know which one of them it's going to be, or whether it'll be multiple ones. But those are the guys who are going to have an opportunity to play. They're the guys who are going to have the skills to excel in coverage, and you know, they're going to be the guys I think who give Grantham some stuff, some versatility on defense that maybe he hasn't had, and certainly didn't have last year. And when you got a guy like David Reese, man, in the center, and you can put somebody on the, on the sides of him who can fly, well, now all of a sudden you've got something really special there on defense. And And I do want to go back. I mean, if you look at 20 – so if you look at everybody's transition – or if you look at everybody's bump class, the transition class tends to have a lot of guys get weeded out. But when you look at the actual bump classes, usually that's where your high-level guys come from. So when you look at 2003 in uh, in Zook's class, it had Chris Leak, Andre Caldwell, Jarvis Moss, Joe Cohen, Chad Jackson, Reggie Nelson, Earl Everett. So guys who contributed to a national championship. When you look at the 2006 class for Urban Meyer, you got Percy Harvin, Tim Tebow, Carl Johnson, Brandon Spikes, Jermaine Cunningham, Dustin Doe, Riley Cooper, Marcus Gilbert. Um, you look at 2012. You got D.J. Humph- Humphreys, John Buller, Dante Fowler, Brian Poole, Marcus May, Matt Jones, Damian Jacobs, Antonio Morris, and Alex McAllister. Um, and then you look at 2016. Even you got Tyree Cleveland, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Felipe Franks, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond, Jeremiah Moon, LaMichael P. Ryan, um, Brett Heggie, O'Shawn Joseph, and Jawan Taylor. So guys who have been high-level players for Florida, who have uh, many of them gone on to the NFL. Those are the kinds of guys you're getting in this bump class, and these are the kinds that that's the kind of expectations we should have for some of these guys coming in you know whether it ends up being diabate or whether it ends up being hopper or whether it ends up being black one of those guys is going to be going to the nfl at least one of them and uh, i'm excited to see it uh
0: yeah cornerback i think is the given Uh, i think we're all excited to see still and and elam and hill and and kimbrough uh, that quartet there uh, that they're bringing in but I'm going to say, you know, this class will probably be remembered for the number of offensive linemen that they that they brought in and the success that they'll hit with with, with those guys. And uh, you know, some some four stars there, and Tarquin and Harad and Hammond, uh, Wadrick Wilson uh, as well. You know, hopefully all those guys uh, are coming in. They have a project in Ethan White. Uh, as well, who you know have some work to do before he can see the field, and uh, awaken, uh from here in Jacksonville. There, so I, I think you know hitting that number of offensive linemen that Floyd desperately needed. Uh, we saw in year one what John Hevesy was able to do with the, the offensive line. John uh, Jim McElwain left behind that was thought of as a joke, thought of as a as a group that couldn't get it done. Well, now Hevesy's bringing in guys that he scouted, guys that he you know wanted, guys that he. I went and identified that can fit in this offense. So I, I think when it's all said and done, you know these seven offensive linemen that Florida brought in. I'm not going to sit here and say all of them are going to be successful, but I think you know this may be the the, the kind of turning point uh, where, where we'll see where you know this was the talent Florida brought in, and this is going to be the stalwart along the offensive line that that we remembered and we and we carry this program for years to come.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, I went back and I looked over the last four years at the different positions and the different signings that Florida's had. So they've had, when you just look at blue chip guys, so four and five star rated guys, they've had three quarterbacks, four running backs, four tight ends, which is really interesting, especially when you saw what the Patriots did the other day eight wide receivers plus the two transfers. When you consider Grimes and Jefferson, seven offensive linemen and four of those guys are this year, seven defensive ends, three defensive tackles, five linebackers, seven cornerbacks and two safeties. So nine defense, nine blue chip defensive backs over the last four years. And the one in 2016 was Chauncey Gardner Johnson. So, eight of those guys are still on the team. So, you know, when you say you're excited for the defensive backs, I I, I think there's good reason to do that. I think there's also reason to be excited at defensive end. They've got seven of those guys on the team. You look at defensive tackle a little bit thin. They only got three offensive line though, seven, a little bit young, but they're going to be really good. there. um, wide receiver 10, if you count the transfers. So, um, You know, and certainly when you look at Florida State not signing a quarterback the last two years, having three blue chip guys on your roster, you know that it it leaves the ability to have an injury and still have somebody step in, the ability to redshirt a guy who's not quite ready, all those sorts of things. And before
0: before you leave off with Florida State too an offensive line that was absolutely terrible last year and they couldn't go out and fill it in with big knees. They had to go settle and, and go after, you know, you know, lower rated guys that, you know, you would have thought they could have went out and said, Hey, we need we we need a talent influx. We need more talent here. And they kind of had to go settle for some offensive linemen.
1: Yeah, I've got an article coming out in the next couple of weeks Can going to be looking at Kendall Bryles and whether he can actually turn around that Florida State offense. And the offensive line is going to be a major theme there. So, you know, Florida saw coming into this year that they were thin at that place, and that's clearly a place where they emphasized not only at the blue chip level, but bringing in depth as well. Um, they did that last year with Banks and Blake, too, bringing in two three-star guys, but, but certainly guys who they think are going to contribute. I, I think the, the biggest thing is not only is the talent level increasing, but that talent level increase is going to increase competition in all the different rooms right so um you know you, you're Kyle Trask is still there obviously but you're going to have other guys in the quarterback room who can push Felipe Franks you look at the running back position you've now got Naquan Wright who can now push Damian Pierce and Iverson Clement and even even guys like P. Ryan. and then at tight end you've got Zipper coming in who's going to push somebody like Kamora Gamble um and, and Lucas Kroll and Kyle Pitts and Pitts even really sort of kind of became a wide receiver sort of towards the end of last year and you know it's just it's one of those things where the increased competition the increased number of blue chip guys it's a very encouraging sign to see it's not perfect it's not it's not where everybody wants it. i mean i want the number one class every year but um you know as of mullen is building towards something you're starting to see what he's building towards this is a heck of a finish and i'm really excited
0: all right, uh, Will, who also is excited out there, as uh, some of the fans, uh, our listeners, I threw out the question, you know, what uh, what they thought uh, about the class, and I'll get to a few of the tweets here uh, while we have a few uh, a few more minutes. Taylor Chase says, "Very pleased. Mullen is increasing the overall talent of the roster like crazy, but we need more five stars. I think we were able to replace three of the lower rated kids uh, with five stars. It would be a perfect class. I'll give it an eight point five out of ten. Fill all needs except interior defensive line." Uh, EB Payne says great class, not only a talent but uh, in need. Uh, secondary depth hurt us last year, as it a lack of speed at linebacker did well in the state as well as key areas around the state. Uh, 17 four star players is a great haul, not going to get caught up. Uh, that none didn't get a fifth star, trivial differences. Will uh, a lot of that stuff? uh you know we kind of hit on here uh we all said uh this is from brett sellhorst uh we all said going into the season we needed to see a top 10 class in the bump year coach dan mullen has done that and produced on the field it's been 10 years since i've been this excited after year after a year on the field and the recruiting class spring game can't get here uh soon enough uh, one more, Will, and I get some thoughts from uh, what you've heard here from, from the fans. Uh, Ryan Hinckley says, overall met needs minus the interior defensive line. Solid class, but missing top-end talent with only four composite top 100 kids. Pretty happy, but need 2020 and beyond to be elite if we want to consistently compete for championships. And, well, I think uh, that, that's kind of the message we've sent. Uh, we're happy. We're happy where it's at. Uh, but we kind of just know if you want to – Beat Alabama you want to beat Georgia you want to go with to Atlanta year after year after year uh, you know uh, uh, this is a this is a good start that uh, has to continue at, at the upper twin
1: yeah you know bill wrote something for reading reaction maybe five or six months ago where he looked at um, People who had won SEC champion or coaches who come in and won SEC championships, there are six of them who've been hired since 2005 and they saw an increase of eight. And so if you, if you juxtapose it next to Mullen, there are a few things that are positive. There are a few things that aren't. So they had an average of 16.8 blue chips. Mullen's got 17. Okay. Checks that box. An average co- ch- an average conference ranking of 2.3. No. Um, an average national ranking of 4.7. Ninth. An average of 2.3 five star recruits none. An increase in 2.3 spots in the conference rankings actually went from 4th to 5th and then an increase of 8.2 spots in the national rankings and and Mullen went up 5 this year. So again, very, very encouraged in terms of the direction. There are some positive things in there. There are some things that, you know, again, you look at averages and you say this is the average of what people will get. Well, maybe Mullen is just on the low end of some of those averages and he's going to be one of those coaches that we put into those averages three or four years from now. Um, But, uh, you know, again, I I think anybody who says they're completely disappointed by this is delusional. Anybody who says that this is the best that anybody could expect, I think is delusional, too. I think it's just a little bit in between. and, And that's one of the exciting things is it's not something we've seen in the past from Florida. We've seen elite recruiting classes, and we've seen coaches succeed and fail with those. We've seen poor recruiting classes, and we've seen a coach fail with those. And so now we've got somebody who's really more balanced, but not necessarily elite. And we'll see what Mullen can do with that.
0: All right, couple more here if I uh, can find it here um, Dustin uh, Warbright, uh, very happy. Uh, could have been better, but it's the first consensus top 10 class since 2014 Given it was uh, number six by average player ranking and within a couple of uh, points of number six overall Successful bump class for Mullen. Hopefully it's the start of several top classes to come uh, Sort of retired Steve sprayer gives a picture of a thumbs up from Steve sprayer. So there we go. I think uh, I think uh that, that that's a pretty good sign uh there. TJ Shoemaker, uh love the offensive line, linebacker and DB class. I'd rate the class overall A minus slash B plus. I think landing an elite defensive tackle like Moore would have made this class a solid A for me Need a couple of elite defensive tackles in 2020, uh for sure. So guys, thanks uh Sending all those comments uh, my way when I when I threw the uh, question out there. Thanks for all the interaction all day here uh, on uh, National Signing Day. The, the Periscope, uh, a surprise episode with, with Bill earlier, and joining us here uh, tonight with Will. Uh, I think uh, you know National Signing Day r- recruiting. Will uh, it never ends? Uh, we get uh, we hear both sides. We hear the uh, the positive. We hear the negative. Uh, it's been going on for uh, you know since. Mullen, since Mullen got hired for, since, from since the uh, about a year ago when that class got over with and, and looking forward uh, to uh, the last 12 months to, to now, it was an adventure, uh, but 2019 uh, is over, and uh, we'll be looking ahead to, to 2020.
1: Yeah, on to 2020, man. It never stops. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be out on the trail next week trying to bring those guys in on I'm sure, and and Gator Twitter, I'm sure, will be criticizing and praising them all at the same time, no matter what they're doing. So, um, you know, it's it's always like this is fun, right? Talking about this stuff is fun, trying to figure out um, what do you actually need to get to. And, and it's one of those things where the numbers are, are readily available. I think for a lot of people, breaking down film and trying to figure out what someone's doing to isolate some sort of, you know, advantage is, is a lot to take in when you're watching the game. When you look at recruiting, it's something you can really take a step back and say, hey, you know, there's a lot of historical precedent. Um, but there's also arguments on both sides, because, you know, there are guys who have had top 10 rated recruiting class i mean clemson's one of them obviously who's won national championships even though they haven't been top five classes of course they've had an awful lot of five stars on those rosters so so you know we'll see um it, it's fun to have it's fun to have the argument and it's fun to uh to interact with everybody so you know i had to work today through most of this stuff so i didn't really get to interact so hopefully i'll get some of that in the next few days yeah
0: my uh my phone will be happy that uh uh, it gets a break. I've had to charge it like three times today. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. One reason I do have kind of an excuse you know, the periscope takes a whole lot of battery. So, you know, the 30 minute periscope, uh, uh, this morning didn't help. So, uh, had to charge it too, not too long after that. But, uh, I see a lot of people asking the question, Will, uh, on Twitter, uh, in the chat, and all that stuff too. Parker Braun, uh, everybody thinks he has to sign right now. Look, he's still at Georgia Tech, he is, he won't. Uh, graduate from Georgia Tech as a grad transfer until May. So, this is a lot like the Joe Burrow situation. Um, last year, when I believe he graduated from Ohio State in May as well, so he can Parker Brown, the offensive of lineman, grad transfer from Georgia Tech, can wait uh, until April May before he makes his decision. He's going to take some more visits. Visited Florida this past weekend. Florida's in good shape, uh, but since he's a grad transfer, he doesn't have he you know, he doesn't have to be included uh, in this uh, national signing day. Just national letter uh, of intent to be signed today.
1: Yeah, but they do have space. So I think that's one of things Even with John Greener coming over from Louisville, um, they do have space for another, I think, two transfers if they want to bring them in for this specific class. Now, once you do that, you do start restricting your freedom next year. If you decide, you know, then you can only sign 25 next year. You can't sign a 26th just because you don't have the space to do so from a scholarship perspective. But but uh, they do have space for transfers, and so that's something that we're probably going to see. If they if they bring in somebody like Braun, then they'll have to choose. Do they want to? Do they want which class do they want to count him towards? But they can't. Ca- they can count him towards this class. So um, they do have space to do that. So that's something to be looking for
0: yeah that was a lot of people were wondering too with uh missing out on more mark anthony richards would florida go out and reach for someone uh to just go out there and get them and i I don't think mullen works that way they didn't you know they decided not to go out there uh and reach for someone just because uh mark anthony richards and more didn't come so more than likely you know they can save that uh in some kind of way uh for parker Braun, and uh hopefully that helps with uh hopefully he comes to florida helps with his uh uh, little brother as well, who's an offensive line prospect uh, uh, for the Gators. So that'll do it for this uh, National Signing Day wrap-up show that we're doing here. Will uh, good work uh, with uh, everything. Uh, it was a lot of work keeping up with it, especially you know the last month or so after the the bowl game got over with, and the recruiting kind of took over uh, the, the 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 last month or so. It is a um, it is a whole lot different than, than covering the game itself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, it very much is everybody certainly has an opinion, which is fun to hear. um it, it's uh, and things are changing too. i you know you mentioned braun, the idea yeah. that the idea that nobody knew whether Burrow was transferring until he lost the job to Haskins last year. And so with players having that capability, I mean, hell, you look at Kelly Bryant leaving after four games. So I do think it behooves coaches to recruit a little bit differently to make sure that you've got the space to bring in these guys, because it is going to impact your class. And so if Mullen thinks he's going to go after 25 guys next year or 26 guys next year, then he needs to leave space in his 2019 class to bring those grad transfers in. And there might be more options out there than just brought, you know, there might be some really high level guys who decide they want to go someplace else because either there was a coaching change or they just, you know, they're not getting the playing time they want or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think leaving those spots open is, is probably a strategic uh, positive and uh, you know, it'll keep us talking all the way through the off season as, as those opportunities pop up.
0: All right. Will. anything uh, coming up reading reaction this week?
1: Yeah, I'm going to have a couple of recruiting articles up. I think Olivia's going to have one as well. And then uh, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm going to start looking into actual film coming up because uh <laughs> because the recruiting stuff will be over and we'll be able to start looking at some of the players who are coming in and then some of the things that Mullen might do scheme-wise to take advantage of some things. I'm really fascinated by what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl with their heavy look and then spreading them out wide, having Devlin the fullback way out wide and and doing some stuff with the Rams. I might write about that a little bit because I thought that that was fascinating and i think because of the tight end talent florida has they might be able to do some of those things too and i'm interested to see whether mullen decides to go that way
0: yeah hopefully people hang around uh this i know we'll, we'll talk about uh, right quick um you know anthony richardson quarterback uh, decommitted from florida uh yesterday uh and a lot of people are of course connecting the dots to carson beck Uh, from here in Jacksonville, who also visited this past weekend. I think there uh, is a dot to be connected there. I can tell you the dot is not connected because Carson Beck committed to Florida. Uh, That is not what happened. Uh, There's no commitment. Uh, There's no inclination of a commitment here. Anthony Richardson – uh, you know, said all the right things over the weekend uh, about the competition and, and Florida looking at two quarterbacks. Uh, but, uh, you know, n- nothing happened there as far as a commitment from Beck, and that's not why Richardson left. So, it'd be interested. Uh, you know, I did talk to, to somebody who, who who was close to the situation. This was a complete surprise. Uh, they said they, they, they thought Richardson was all in. Uh, so, you know, we'll go from there uh, and, and see what happens. Uh, you know, I would feel good about Beck. Uh, and maybe that's really all it boils down to. Uh, but they uh, still going to take some visits. Um, you know, Miami is of uh, is of interest. Uh, Bama is still going to be of uh, of interest as well. Uh, so there's something something to uh, to look at. Richardson still says, you know, he's going to be looking at Florida as well. Not deep, not really throwing away Florida, but not too often you see uh, quarterbacks or even a lot of players that, for for that matter, uh, decommit and then recommit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a long way to go. I think we'll see what happens with Felipe Franks in the fall. Um, you know, if, if Franks is playing really, really well and, and he takes another step forward, I think you'll probably see a bunch of guys take a look at Florida who maybe weren't looking before. Um, back one of those guys, obviously. Yeah. So, um, Yeah, I think when it comes to quarterback, I don't really have any problem trusting Mullen (laughs) in terms of what he's going to be able to do. And also, you know, I mean, Richardson may have taken a look at that quarterback room and said, you got Franks, you got Emory Jones, you got Jalen Jones, and then you got me and potentially some other guys they're bringing in that there's competition there. And and that doesn't mean he's scared of competition. But certainly, I think when you're looking at your path to the NFL Mm -hmm. and you're looking The playing time, you got to take those things into consideration. So, you know what? Hey, best of luck to him. I uh, I hope he doesn't go to Florida State. I I hope that that, uh, you know he he plays well anytime he plays anybody other than Florida. And uh, you know, this is a tough decision for anybody. And when you commit, you know, almost you know almost two years early, it's it's something. It's it's natural that that you would waver and you'd want to look at your options and all those sorts of things. So, um, probably better that he decommit now than that he stay committed, but you know, really be looking around anyway. So at least, at least Florida knows where they stand and they can keep talking to them as they see fit and, you know, go out and look for other people without worrying about whether, about what he thinks because um, you know, he's, he's not part of the system right now.
0: All right. Well, man, that was a good, good episode. Good, A lot of good insight here on this 2019 uh, signing class. Uh, for the Gators. so Remember, you can find Will on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave_Sec. underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.